Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us for the first of our seminars, exploring the topic of word and letter, book and speech. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Dunya Rasic. Dunya worked for four years as a researcher at the Free University, Berlin, on the project The Poetics of Aristotle Between East and West. Currently, she lectures at the University of Belgrade, where she teaches the history of Islamic philosophy. Her academic interests include the Islamic philosophy of language, the science of the letters, and philosophical and theological thought in the early Islamic Middle Ages. 2021 sees the publication of her book, The Written World of God, The Cosmic Script, and the art of Ibn Arabi. She's currently working on several future publications, one of which is a critical translation of Al Bosnadi's commentary of Qasida Ta'iya. Today, Dunya will be exploring our theme of word and letter, book and speech, through her talk, The Three Great Books, Letters, Elements and Prime Matter, in Ibn Arabi's Cosmogony. Dunya, please begin your presentation when you're ready. Thank you. So, dear friends and colleagues, welcome. It is my great pleasure and honor to give the opening presentation to our spring series, World and Letter, Book and Speak. Today, we will examine even Arabi's notion of the letters of the Arabic alphabet as the building blocks of the universe. And in addition, we will explore correspondences between the letters of the Arabic alphabet, the breadth of the all-merciful, and prime matter. Uh, as such, uh, my presentation was intended as a general introduction to Ibn Arabi's science of the letters and as an introduction for the two presentations to come. In his works, uh, Ibn Arabi chiefly identified the science of the letters as familiarity with the letters of the Arabic alphabet, the Quranic revelation, and everything in the world of nature. To study the letters was thus to follow visual signs pointing to the mysteries of existence. The science of the letters represents one of the central elements of Ibn Arabi's teachings, and until today, it also tends to be perceived as one of the most abstract ones. In spite of the fact that around 15th century Anno Domini, even Khalikan wrongly identified Ibn Arabi as the founder of the Islamic science of the letters, these notions, and by this I mean the notion of the letters as the building blocks of the universe and keys of the mysteries of existence, weren't novel concepts by the 13th century Anno Domini. For as early as 9th century Anno Domini, grammarians of the school of Baghdad believed they have found correspondences between the rules and regulations of Arabic grammar and the laws that govern the structure and nature of the universe. These popular analogies between the laws of grammar and the laws of nature subsequently led Sufis to identify nature studies as the reading of a macrocosmic book. And apart from the universe, the great book of macrocosm, 
Sufi works and inquiries on the science of the letters equally focused on physiognomy and human nature, that is, they focused on the microcosm and the text of the Quranic revelation. These are the main research objects of the Islamic science of the letters, which subsequently got to be known as the three great books. And Sufis like El-Firmidi believed that familiarity with the content of the three great books can be achieved through the studies of the meanings and properties of the letters of the Arabic alphabet. Contained in the letters, El-Firmidi recorded, is the complete knowledge of the primal beginnings, God's names and attributes. They also contain his knowledge of him regulating the world from the creation of Adam to the day of the appointed time. In Ibn Arabi's works, the world is usually defined simply as anything other than God. Ibn Arabi commonly compared the world as such to a book inscribed on parchment unrolled. And whereas the facet of this parchment was thought to contain the most beautiful names of God, its lower side stands for the world of nature. And from this perspective, the act of Genesis unfolds as ontological speech and writing. But ultimately, nothing exists before being named. And when God created Adam in his own form and taught him the names of all things in existence, he at the same time endowed him with the potential to come to terms with the secret properties of the letters. But following the temptations of Satan, Adam's descendants lost their inherent familiarity with the letters. And as a result, even Arby believed that science of the letters requires special training and divine mercy to support it in order to be mastered. Masters of this art were taught to be able to use letters to, for example, cure illnesses, converse with animals, conquer death, and return to the pure primordial state of existence. According to Fadl Allah Astrabadi, this was the final and ultimate stage of spiritual ascension and the ultimate goal of the science of the letters. But I would just like to say a few words of warning before we proceed. Each of these spiritual and intellectual achievements is beyond doubt alluring and impressive. However, each of these simply pales in comparison to the endless possibilities of Ibn Arabi's science of the letters. For in his works, Ibn Arabi identified the content of the three great books as the absolute knowledge covering all planes of existence. These teachings were likely inspired on the text of the Quranic revelation, which reads, that there is nothing hidden in the heavens or on earth, but it is in a clear book. Another ayah reads, Verily, we created humans on the best of forms. And in other words, human beings were created in God's own form, and he who knows himself knows his Lord. This is the absolute knowledge leading to the state of unity with the Creator, and the ultimate goal of the science of the letters. 
in his works, uh, Ibn Arabi establishes complex parallels between the inner and outer, between world and text, and between what is human and what is divine. In his works, the world and all in it was perceived as a work of wisdom or as a one great book. And in order to gain access to its content, in order to gain access to the absolute knowledge, one was simply to learn how to read it. This is what it means to come to terms with the content of the three great uh, books. Now, I ask you not to take my last sentence too literally, because in the end, the prophet himself has been described as an illiterate man. However, Ibn Arabi did believe that the science of the letters could offer us keys to gain the absolute knowledge. This can be, of course, achieved through the studies of the properties of the letters of the Arabic alphabet. In his works, Ibn Arabi maintained that the properties of each letter of the alphabet are based on its shape, place of articulation, and the spirit that governs it. We will return to the in-depth discussions on the orthographic forms and places of articulation of letters in the later portion of our presentation. Now, just to avoid confusion, I would like to say a few words on the spirits of the letters. In his works, Ibn Arabi mostly uses this term spirit, or ruh in Arabic, as a synonym for the meanings of letters. However, this term can also stand for the power they contain, or quite literally, it can be interpreted as the spirits governing the letters of the Arabic alphabet. Ibn Arabi divided the letters of the Arabic alphabet into three groups, written, spoken, and summon letters. And each of these groups was thought to be ruled by different spirits. For example, spirits of the written letters were thought to be entirely passive in nature. And on their own accord, these spirits will take no action whatsoever against either the reader or the writer of the text that contains them. The fate of these spirits was thought to be tightly connected to the fate of the written text. If we were to alter one text in Arabic, we would at the same time alter the properties of its spirits. And of course, once the text has been destroyed, gone are its spirits as well. However, in contrast, spirits of the spoken letters were thought to be more resilient in nature. Even Arbi believed that once letters and words have been spoken, their spirits rise into air where they will remain for a certain amount of time before ascending back to the creator. And provided that the spoken words were poisonous or bitter, their spirits might even return to haunt both speaker and the listener. However, Ibn Arabi asserted that this happens rarely, for in the accordance with the Arabic grammar tradition, he believed that it is actually up to listener and not up to speaker to decide on the meaning of a sentence. And unless a listener pays close attention to what was just said, and actually invests his concentration to fuel the negative vibrations of the spoken letters, he will remain fully unaffected by them.
In contrast, some letters were taught to have the power to influence and impact their target irrespective of his will and actions. Summon letters, or so the Deepan Arabi believe, emerge to do the bidding of their master when the act of writing is followed by the act of speaking and imbued with him or spiritual concentration of a summoner. The fate of these letters and their spirits was, however, taught to be fully unconnected to the fate of the written text. Fortunately, however, even Arby maintained that few people are capable of summoning a single spirit of a single letter, let alone summoning multiple spirits at once. The summoning process was described in the Meccan revelations as the dangerous, repugnant knowledge, both intellectually and in the eyes of the Sharia law. This is an interesting sentence uh, in the light of the fact that another paragraph from the Meccan revelations clearly says that sometimes even the mere act of reading from the Quran, especially when isolated letters are concerned, is sufficient to summon the spirits of these letters. Nonetheless, uh, spirits of the letters play a limited role in Ibn Arabi's teachings on the science of the letters. This was due to the fact that he believed that it is actually the orthographic form of letters and their places of articulation when it comes to the spoken letters that determines the properties of the spirits of the letters and not the other way around. And as a result, whereas even Arby's works uh, contain an abundance of information on orthographic forms and places of articulation, relatively little has been said on the spirits of the letters. But when it comes to correspondences between the act of Genesis and these three types of letters, Ibn Arabi recorded the following. From the spoken letters, the world of spirits comes into being. From the written letters, the sensory world comes into being. And from the summoned letters, the world of intellect in imagination comes into being. Created by the means of letters, different parts of the universe were thought to have retained the properties of the letters which brought them to existence. In Ibn Arabi's works, the creator was described as all-powerful. As such, he had no needs of servants. And yet, the cause of all things was linked by Henry Corbin to the primordial sadness of the one who had no one to name him and no one to know him. Whereas Corbin's interpretation is certainly not incorrect on his side, Ibn Arabi maintained that it would be equally true to say that God was filled with love instead. Ibn Arabi compared the strength of this love, or more accurately, he compared the state of absolute abundance of the divine being, which led to the creation of the universe and all in it, with lungs filled with air. Were we at this very moment? to inhale deeply, and if we were to try to forcefully hold the air back, soon we would find out that the pain is unbearable, 
and ultimately the air bursts out. This breath was the life itself, and it was through this exhale, this sigh, or so did Ibn Arabi believe, that the world was breathed out into existence. In Ibn Arabi's works, the act of Genesis is commonly referred to as the breath of all merciful. And this is very important. In his works, Ibn Arabi identifies the act of breathing with the act of speaking, when, both when it comes to humans and the creator alike. So, in other words, uh, the world was created by the means of letters. When it comes to his notion of the creative word of God, which resulted in the creation of the universe, even Arabi's teachings are hardly unique. And, for example, similar motives have been traced in pyramid texts and a great variety of the surviving Zoroastrian and Orphic texts. Samuel Kramer, who analyzed this matter in great detail, however, believed that um, these teachings owe their prominence in the Arab Middle East to the works of Sumerian scholars. In the Sumerian myth of creation, the creative word of God, which resulted in the creation of the world, has been identified as Gu. Uh, it was believed to have been uttered by Enlil, the Sumerian god of heaven and netherworld, presumably in classical Sumerian. However, in accordance with the Islamic normative tradition, even Arabi believe that the world is a product of God's speech in Arabic. And having set on to create the world, God utters a single command, kun, or be in English. And it was through kun, even Arabi believed, that we came to be from nothingness. Fadl Allah Hastrabadi maintained that the creative word kun has 28 meanings, corresponding to the 28 letters of the Arabic alphabet. In Islamic culture, 28 was perceived as a perfect number. It stands for the 28 letters of the Arabic alphabet, of course, but also for the 28 stars of the zodiac constellations, for the number of vertebrae in the backbone, and in the human life cycle, uh, this number marks the beginning of an adulthood. The act of Genesis was also believed to have taken place in the 28 stages, which of course correspond to the 28 letters of the alphabet. However, even Arabi believed that different meanings cannot be joined together unless letters are deposited into words and sentences. The total number or ultimate number of combinations of the 28 letters of the Arabic alphabet was thought to be unlimited, as is the ultimate number of living beings and other forms of existence. In this regard, even Arabic teachings were likely inspired by the Surah Luqman, the tree. If all the trees in the world were pens, and the seven seas were to supply the ink, the words of God would never run out. Verily, Allah is exalted in might and wise. So ontologically, 
every form of existence is a divine word. Or to use the words of Ibn Arabi himself, the world, all of it, are the words of God in existence. The act of Genesis was to conclude, believed to have taken place in 28 stages, corresponding to the sequence of the letters of the Arabic alphabet. On the current slide, you can see Titus Burkhardt's visual depiction of this process. The act of Genesis was believed to begin with Hamza and the creation of the first intellect. And of course, it concludes with the creation of the human beings and the step levels of spiritual ascension. Now we can return to the in-depth discussions of this scheme in the questions and answers uh, part of our presentation, because there is a pretty good way why Burkhardt depicted it in the circular form, which of course refers to Ibn Arabi's notion of the time. However, back to our topic, it is important to take into account that in his works, Ibn Arabi divides the letters of the Arabic alphabet into four groups and four step levels. These are the divine, human, jinn, and angelic letters. Each of these groups, each of these step levels was thought to be guarded by four angels and endowed with different nature that can be either hot, cold, dry, or moist. The correspondences between these four natures and the letters of the Arabic alphabet can be seen on the current slide. This table was actually drawn in Ibn Arabi's own hand in the manuscript of the Meccan Revelations. In the Meccan Revelations, these four natures, hot, cold, dry, and moist, are commonly referred to as the four mothers. And with the rotation of the heavenly spheres, even Arabi believed that the four mothers get mixed together to create fire, water, air, and earth, the four elements uh, which uh, serve as a basis for the creation of organic and inorganic matter and also serve as a basis for the existence of the material realm of existence. As a matter of fact, Ibn Arabi compared the transmutation of the four mothers into four elements and organic matter to the transformation of phonemes into language. Or more accurately, Ibn Arabi maintained that letters are the matter for words, just as water, earth, fire, and air are the matter for the formation of our bodies. When these elements are brought out, he makes them transform one into another. And thus fire returns to air and air to fire. Just like the letter Ta is transformed into Ta, seen into Sad. So far, so good. Nonetheless, the exact nature of this process remains unclear. Even Arabi's Surviving works and relevant passages on the matter are intentionally vague and seemingly full of contradictions. And as a result, it is close to impossible to determine the exact nature of a relationship 
between the four mothers, the four elements, and the 28 letters of the Arabic alphabet. Another problem lies uh, in the relationship between four elements and the letters of the Arabic alphabet. For example, we don't know how exactly letters get to be transformed into organic and inorganic matter. We also don't know uh, which criteria did Ibn Arabi refer to upon concluding that, uh, that the letter Hamza is fiery in nature, whereas, for example, the letter Ka is both fiery and watery alike. This is a strange mystery and difficult complexity, even Arabi recorded, which would require a full book to be explained further. Even though there are some hints that he actually planned to write this work, ultimately he never did. And the intentional vagueness of his writings is the same thing that was um, identified as the major weakness of Aristotelian theory of matter. For ultimately, we also don't know how opposing elements like fire and water get to be joined together to form organic matter so that the final product doesn't dissolve. Ibn Arabi actually wrote on this topic the following. This is a strange mystery and difficult complexity which is forbidden to be revealed since the intellect couldn't take it. This is due to the fact that he identified this problem as God's knowledge of the world before it was created. And while the basic prerequisite of all rational analysis is, of course, an object of research, and what never existed cannot be known, and the same goes for the world before it was created. The closest Ibn Arabi comes to an explanation of the relationship between the four elements, four mothers, and the letters of the Arabic alphabet is actually upon asserting that letters don't have the power to bring forth coldness, heat, uh, dryness, and moisture just because they are letters, but because of their shapes. So once again, we have the orthographic forms of letters dictating the impact of letters on the world of nature, just like they also rule the uh, spirits of the letters. In spite of uh, the quote you can see on the current slide, even Arabi actually claimed that he managed to catch the glimpse of this secret from the corner of his eye. This intellectual and spiritual success is partially to be attributed to the divine revelation or kash he received on the matter. However, he also maintained that he was led to these conclusions through his studies on the properties of the human vocal tract. Like Sivarich and other Arab grammarians before him, Ibn Arabi believed that the letters are formed when air faces certain obstacles in the human vocal tract. And the nature and locations of these obstacles were said to determine the properties of letters. 
Sibelweich, in his uh, classical work of grammar, El Kitab, identified 16 such points of obstruction that can result in the pronunciation of the 28 letters of the Arabic alphabet. And he used these points of obstruction, these points of articulation, to form one of the earliest known sequences of the letters of the Arabic alphabet. As you can see on the current slide, Sibawai's sequence begins with Hamza, a glottal stop which is pronounced deep in the throat. And from there on, the letters are listed in ascending order according to the points of articulation until the sequence is concluded with Vav, which is a labial sound which is pronounced at the lips at the opposing end of the vocal tract. Even Arby actually used the sequence as a basis for his analysis on the act of Genesis. But before we proceed, we would just like to say a few words of warning that Sibovai's sequence is not the only sequence of the letters of the Arabic alphabet that exists, uh, either in the Arabic grammar tradition or in even Arabic's works. On the current slide, you can see a folio from Ibn Arabi's work, Kitab al-Tajaliyat, which depicts another sequence of letters. Historically, it was established by Al-Layti. And curiously enough, this sequence has 29 letters. It begins with Alif, the letter which is not a letter in Ibn Arabi's words. And it also contains Lam Alif. But we can return to these discussions, perhaps in the questions and answers part of our presentation. And perhaps we can also discuss the properties of Ibn Arabi's cryptographic script, which you can also see on the current slide. But back to our topic, and this is important, Sibawai sequence is the only sequence of the letters used by Ibn Arabi to discuss the act of Genesis because he believed that the creation of the universe took part in 28 stages, which correspond to Sibawai's sequence of the letters. This makes sense because Sibawai's sequence of the set of the letters was actually based on the anatomy of the human vocal tract. And in his works, uh, even Arabi constantly compares the anatomy of the vocal tract um, and uh, the act of breathing and speaking of human beings to the creative word of God, which brought forth the universe into existence. This makes sense for, in the end, we were taught to be created in God's own form. Or in Ibn Arabi's own words, the manifestation of letters from heart to mouth is similar to the manifestation of the universe from the cloud and the emergence of letters and words along this path is akin to the emergence of the universe from the mist, which is the breath of the true, the all-merciful. Emergence of letters from the heart, one could ask, and this question would be justified, for it was also a source of confusion for the later-date interpreters of Ibn Arabi's works. For example, um, in his commentary of the Basils of Wisdom, uh, El Bosnavi proposed an allegorical explanation of this sentence, 
Tal Bosnavi recorded that uh, words and letters actually reveal what lies in the heart. However, at least in this case, even Arabic words can also be interpreted quite literally. For in the Arabic grammar tradition, it was believed that human heart plays a crucial role both in the act of breathing and the act of speaking. Once inhaled, uh, air was thought to enter heart where it gets purified by its fire. And from the heart, it enters pulsatile arteries and spreads to the body. And on its way back, air enters the heart once again and exits the body uh, through the nose and mouth. Ibn Arabi uh, believed that um, this process of breathing can be compared to the breath of the old merciful and uh, the act of Genesis. And he uses um, human vocal tract as an explanation of this process. The air we breathe is always one of the same. However, the place where it gets blocked by the articulatory organs will actually decide the properties of letters. Will the spoken letters be mim, aleph, or ha? The case is similar with the breath of the old merciful, for God is one, and his creative force is always one and the same. However, the properties of each living being were thought to be determined not just by its form, but also by its place of manifestation, in the same way as the properties of each letter of the Arabic alphabet are determined by its orthographic form and its place of articulation. Ibn al-Arabi illustrates his conclusion by referring to the Islamic normative tradition, which reads that when the Prophet encountered Archangel Jibrail in the sphere of Saturn underneath the lot tree, the angel appeared to him in glorious form with 600 wings. But had he encountered him in one of the lower realms or in the realms of hell, his form would have changed accordingly. And it is the same with all things in existence whose excellence and even their fate is determined by their form and places of articulation. Not only did Ibn Arabi believe that studies of the vocal tract could help us come to terms with um, the act of Genesis, he also claimed that he received a spiritual revelation which led him to identify these points of articulation uh, with the step levels of spiritual ascension. As um, each of you probably know, in the Arabic grammar tradition, letters are typically divided into letters uh, into throat, medial, and labial letters, and this division subsequently served uh, Ibn Arabi to divide the letters into letters of the world of Mulk, Malakut, and Chabarut. They are divided in these categories based on their points of articulation. For example. Letters Ha and Hamza, that are pronounced closest to the human heart, would correspond on the macrocosmic level to the first intellect and the preserved tablet, which are described in Ibn Arabi's works as the two angels filled with love. 
these angels and the celestial angelic realm of Malakut, to which they belong to, lie closest in proximity and purity to the divine essence, which corresponds to the human heart. And based on this scheme, media letters of the Arabic alphabet would correspond to the world of Jabarut, which is the intermediate realm between the angelic world of Malakut and Mulk, material world which has the least in common with the purity of the divine essence. And to the world of Mulk, subsequently belong labial letters like Ba, Mim, and Bab. So the studies of the sequence of the letters and their points of articulation reveals the structure and nature of the universe. And not just that, for Ibn Arabi believed that not only do the letters reveal the step levels of spiritual ascension, they could even make us or help us uh, make this ascension ourselves. In his now classical work, Self-Disclosure of God, in 1998, William Chittick pointed out that um, by focusing only on what he wrote on the letters of the Arabic alphabet, we could gain a very deep insight and a better understanding of Ibn Arabi's teachings on the structure and nature of the universe and the relationship between the human and divine. And this is not all. And in my forthcoming book, The Written World of God, which will be published with Anka Publishing within the next few months, I also tried to show that by focusing on only what he wrote on the letters of the Arabic alphabet, we can also more or less successfully summarize even Arabic teachings in general. However, I would still like to conclude my presentation for today with the few with a few words of warning. The signs of the letters certainly play the crucial role in Ibn Arabi's teachings. Uh, however, you are all probably familiar with the Hadith Qudsi, which reads that God was a hidden treasure who loved to be known. Thus, he discloses himself in this world and provides us with a sign so that we can return to him. The letters of the Arabic alphabet are certainly alluring signs, especially in connection with the studies of calligraphy and the promises of mystical ascension they contain in Ibn Arabi's works. However, and this is something that Ibn Arabi emphasizes over and over again, nothing is as dangerous as confusing the moon for its reflection on the surface of the water. And if one was to focus too much on one aspect of creation, on just one sign leading towards God, he might end up in heresy and kufr rather than reaching his goal. For this reason, whereas the letters of the alphabet are certainly a luring set of signs, one mustn't give them more credit than it is due. For in even Arabic's work, Everything can serve as a sign leading us toward God, down to the movement of the lowest worms in the ground and the whisper of the wind and murmur of water. Thank you very much.
for your time and patience. I hope that you enjoyed my presentation and um, I warmly invite you to join us for the questions and answers session. Thank you.